The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. So the playoff fields 1 through 6 are set. The play-ins 7 through 10 are set. And we'll talk about it. None of the games are really that interesting, though. Unfortunately, really, the machinations of it all are probably the most interesting aspect. But essentially, we didn't get one real game all day, which was really a massive disappointment. Once the Bucks decided that they didn't want to win against Cleveland, there really wasn't anything else that was going to be a real game. Kudos to Houston and Indiana, two tanking teams that at least put in a credible showing but ended up losing nonetheless to give us at least some modicum of entertainment but it's really a shame like this should be an awesome day of the year we didn't even get any the double tank games either that can at least give you some unintentional entertainment right thinking back to that was that like four years ago that you and i actually did a live show of a double tank game which was delirious fun oh there was a couple it was it was like nicks pistons or, or and like orlando i think was involved i can't remember what year that was but and obviously last year the atoru game was a, a classic that will be talked about for years to come here in these parts but but yeah so instead we can we can run through and unfortunately we'll get to the the injury part of it like i would say the most significant part of this other than kind of figuring out the brackets and i would argue even more significant than that is the prominent injury that happened we don't know all the details on it but that's luka Doncic's left calf strain but I think the place to go is just kind of to walk through, well, where are things now? And we can begin in the Eastern Conference because those games resolved earlier in the day. Miami was already locked in at the one seed, and then Toronto and Chicago as the five and six, respectively. So the movement was two through four, and then seven through 10. You brought up the Bucks sitting their players against the Cavs, and that had two big effects. One was in the two through four, but then in the seven through 10, what that did is it meant Brooklyn was playing Indiana, who fought gamely, but didn't didn't quite have the horses. So then once Cleveland looked, it looked, I mean, they were up 20 pretty damn early in that game. Then we knew the 7-8 was going to be Brooklyn hosting Cleveland. And then... Well, well, we didn't yet because Brooklyn actually yeah, had to beat Indiana as well, which they, they, they took several leads. Indiana would come back with it for, they even tied it at 91 at one point in the fourth. Um, Brooklyn had so many turnovers. TJ McConnell is, is actually back. We, we talked about that some already in the earlier recorded 7-8 outlook so I, I think it, and we know already 7 is Brooklyn 8 is Cleveland 9 is Atlanta 10 is Charlotte what I want to talk about here is at the top though first before anything I mean you mentioned the Bucks didn't try they could have been the two seed they controlled their own destiny they did not make anyone active except for Drew Holiday who played six seconds and then immediately committed a foul 
Yeah. Well, and I, I can explain but, the reason for that. The reason was that yes. Drew Holiday had the only incentive that was still to be determined, regular season contract bonus that was to be that was to be determined on the last day of the year, and Bobby Marks had this. Drew Holiday had a bonus for three hundred and six thousand dollars if he played in sixty-seven games and had at least three point one five rebounds per game. Holiday had to appear in this his sixty-seventh game and was so far above the average rebounds that getting zero didn't matter so everyone pretty much knew the score the tip the tip happened and then he just grabs it was a pretty ticky tack foul if you were determining normal normal stuff grabs Darius Garland hits him a little bit and then he just walks off the court and gets his three hundred six thousand dollars congratulations Drew Holiday yeah and and of course we saw another wonderful April rite of passage a tradition unlike any other the Mike Budenholzer 2-3 zone while playing a game that doesn't matter and so it was immediately I think the Cavs scored the first 12 points in about two and a half minutes and you knew exactly where it was going it did actually get somewhat close to the point where they had to bring the starters back in the fourth but it was never really a threat and so milwaukee wanted to be number three and part of part of the way they were able to ensure that was because boston at memphis needed to win because boston could have fallen to four which would have been a disaster for them because of jalen brown's likely status of not being able to play in Toronto. Meanwhile, Philly decided not to win anyway, but the they or they did end up winning against Detroit in, in the end, although they didn't play their guys and and but they knew by that point that the Celtics had won, and so they were locked. But th- into those four. games, think, those games started at the yeah. same time, but I think they had an idea of the incentives. Yeah. And- well, well, yeah, we we knew that Memphis rested everybody, including their mascot, in that game. So and Boston was trying to win. Still, also they played all their guys, but Philly seemed very content to be in the four seat. So let's just talk about whether this is the right decision for these teams right i think boston you know they kind of had to win to get to two to avoid being four because of their issues with being four milwaukee would you have wanted to be two or would you have wanted to be three we hit on it a little bit yesterday but now that it's actually happened what do you think of it i would have been more concerned about being the three over the two incidentally in boston's case i mean we don't know robert williams status like if i had an injury that i thought could potentially resolve within the first round then i would be much more aggressive about avoiding the brooklyn nets and getting the bulls that is not milwaukee's case it seems like everybody's pretty healthy and home court in the second round is very important you were i thought you were pretty persuasive on this point for for yesterday and the bigger the more persuasive part than the home court advantage in a potential 2-3 is that the nets have not looked like world beaters to me and that i'm less scared of them now than i was a month ago and they've had some performances but like even today like they they didn't they didn't dominate they didn't close the door until extremely late and part of that was indiana competing hard part of that is just the nets not being at that level they have some very very specific flaws so I I think in Milwaukee. So if we're talking about this as Milwaukee because you brought up the incentives for Boston, which I which I, I fully agree with. Like it was better for them to be the two than the four because of because of the potential that Jalen Brown wouldn't be able to play. That's that's so much worse than playing a arguably superior opponent. But Toronto's playing better than Brooklyn. Let's be abundantly clear about this. Toronto's playing 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 better than Brooklyn. It's just Brooklyn's conceptual ceiling. But for Milwaukee, I think I'd rather be the two than the three. 
Yeah, a lot of moving parts here. I mean, number one, if they had guys who legitimately were just tired and of course needed the break, that's that's one thing. You know, I, I don't really have the impression that that was the case. I don't think that this Brooklyn team should scare them. Now, remember, they won that classic, which they probably shouldn't have against Brooklyn. Just I think that was last week or two weeks ago. Sorry, I'm already losing track of all time as a new father. But so maybe that was just like, hey, these guys actually are a little bit scary. But it's completely the opposite of what they did last year when they had lost Miami the previous year. Maybe that was just their like, you know what? Fuck Miami. We're going to beat them. We just need revenge on them for last year when they ruined our season. Maybe they didn't feel that way about Brooklyn. So they took what they considered to be a more pragmatic approach i considered again having home court against the celtics in the second round more important than playing the nets instead of the bulls now i mean milwaukee is going to just completely destroy chicago as i'm sure we'll get to the the bulls uh have not been competitive against the best teams in either bucks and six minus two yeah i'm interested to see uh, when we do our picks of whether you'll finally actually pick a sweep in this one but so that was one component of it here's another one there's no guarantee even that had the bucks gotten to two that they would have faced brooklyn and probably about a pretty good chance i mean i would say brooklyn has a 75 percent chance of winning against cleveland but had the milwaukee bucks beaten the cleveland cavaliers it actually would have been cleveland in the 10 seat and atlanta going to brooklyn which i I think actually would have been a tougher matchup for Brooklyn personally than Cleveland and then also would have made Brooklyn have to play Charlotte in presumably because Cleveland would have fallen all the way to the 10 it would have been eight Atlanta nine Charlotte 10 Cleveland due to the three-way tiebreaker between Atlanta Charlotte and Cleveland because Cleveland won they finished a game ahead of Atlanta and Charlotte so that's another component too like they could have actually made brooklyn's life a little bit harder in the seven in my opinion at least by playing atlanta so there are a lot of moving parts there maybe they just felt like hey let's just not risk people in a meaningless game you know as we saw that the, we'll, we'll get to the dallas situation how about from philly's standpoint I, I mean they ended up winning anyway they decided to try not to i think they don't really care that much about Matisse Seibel being unavailable in the Toronto series. And he gave a long rambling answer that was incredibly dumb considering that he's already had one Pfizer shot, but just hasn't had the second one. Or he could have just had the Johnson, one Johnson and Johnson and been eligible, but because he, has, he hasn't had the second Pfizer shot, like you took the risk to get one Pfizer shot, nothing happened. You don't want to take the second one. He gave it some bullshit answer about alternative medicine in his household and blah, blah, blah. But it's just like, it's like, yeah, you know, I don't really see what getting the second shot could do for me well it could make you a bunch of money and and you know really help your team i mean i if i were especially because he got the first one i would just be so livid with him if i were philly but i I don't think he matters that much in that series anyway uh because but nevertheless i think philly because they didn't play Embiid and harden anyway they probably knew boston was going to win number one but number two i think they actually might feel more comfortable on that side of the bracket because they feel better against miami than they do against boston or milwaukee i guess they would have if they had won and boston lost then they would have had to play milwaukee in the second round so they probably would just would rather get a toronto and miami path in the aggregate to get to the conference finals than having a i guess it would have been a chicago and milwaukee path so maybe there's something to that i guess i i guess we'll find out it's so interesting to see what these teams conceptions are you remember danny in 2019 how portland what they did in the final game of the season to try to lose 
ended up winning, which they didn't want to do, but that was actually their best path and they made it to the conference finals in a super easy bracket. Yeah. And, and uh, so, so sometimes they just, uh, these teams don't know what's good for them. I mean, not that we're perfect on that well, either. Well, or last year we it, criticized the Bucks for not, for the Bucks for not sufficiently avoiding the Miami Heat and then they tossed them in the sweep in the first round. So there, that can happen as well. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. And things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing, like their premium slub crew tee, the no BS high rise pant, 
the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that capspace code to let them know you came from us um, and so how it ended up, just so we have it for 7 through 10, Brooklyn hosting Cleveland, and then and that'll be on Tuesday, and then Atlanta hosting Charlotte, and that will be on Wednesday. Later on, or, or we, we've talked about Nets-Cavs already. I think you, really, you released that, but anyway. anyway. Yes, yes. Uh, it, at least for, this will be on the public sure. pod too, but I released already for Prime subscribers. It'll be on the end of this uh, on the public pod. Let's get to the West now, and that too was chalk. Every single team that was supposed to win won. That that began with the Golden State Warriors taking care of business. Clay Thompson had 40 in that one. And the Pels started CJ McCollum for like six minutes. He played and then never returned. Most of their other stars didn't return. Although Trey Murphy did sprain an ankle. He did play in the second half at least a little bit. So it doesn't look like that's serious. New Orleans did get back within about 11. But there was a moment, right? Golden State was up 20 after the first half. And then recall, of course, that if Golden State lost and Dallas won, then Dallas had the tiebreaker. They would have been the three seed. In all likelihood, that would have meant being on the Memphis side of the bracket and then also playing Denver in the first round rather than Utah, which I, I think is you'd much rather be have that path, whether either, whether you're Dallas or Golden State. So Dallas had some incentive to try and win. But right at the start of the third, Golden State immediately went up 81-52. And by 29 points, they had a huge flurry three minutes into the second half and, and yes the Pels did make it close but they weren't playing their guys they were never going to come back in that and even getting it down to 11 was a very improbable outcome at that point I tweeted hey it's 81 53 Dallas should get just get their starters out of there maybe it's unrealistic to expect that they would do it that quickly I would get your thoughts on this but then Luka Doncic suffered a calf strain now also worth noting I think that the Dallas San Antonio game was behind or, or I'm sorry was ahead of the New Orleans Golden State game which I think started a little late for some reason and so you know this is probably only maybe 10 minutes or so of real time at most before Luka got injured but you know maybe they should have been like hey it's a 29 point game let's get our guys out of here is it realistic to expect they would have just okay snap the fingers call time out we're doing this right now you know normally they would just in any other situation like this they would just all right they'll just play their whatever their next stint is look at the scoreboard we're just not going to put them back in but it ended up hurting them that they didn't act quickly enough and we don't have the full details on, on luca calf strain is the terminology that we've used calf strains can be very variable as jeff stotts has already pointed out the shortest recovery is three days the average recovery is 16 that is a very significant difference when the playoffs start six days away for the dallas mavericks because the nba did not do the mavs any favors they are the first game of the playoffs utah dallas at one eastern on saturday yeah which is not a surprise uh given that the number one seed is always going to play on sundays under the current setup because the eighth seed isn't determined until friday and so generally the saturday is going to be the the ones that can more easily be determined ahead of time so man this is a killer you know, i i just just noted that in general i mean it's been called a calf strain he threw a pass landed and then tried to run back out to the three-point 
front line, put his left foot behind him, and it just didn't fire correctly, and, and he tweaked it. There's a bunch of different muscles in the calf. Obviously, we don't know how bad this is, but he was struggling to walk. And generally, if you suffer a hamstring or a calf injury, some kind of muscle injury in the lower body that causes you to have to leave the game and also makes you limp, and it's very rare that guys come back in less than a week from that and you know it could possibly be more uh, jeff stotts had the numbers on generally what it's been for a calf strain this year and that is that that was the shortest is three days the average is 16 right yes yes yeah so i mean that's missing the first three four games it's also tough to condition while you have a calf strain with a, a lower body injury like that so we'll see how it's trending and we'll probably wait to do our preview till pretty late in that before that series starts i would imagine now but man i mean i mean that's just a killer it it was already meaningless at, at that point then hilariously san antonio we talked about this yesterday they played all their starters in this game dejounte murray didn't start but he played a lot he was coming back from that illness so all right you wanted those guys to get a little bit of a rhythm then they come out dejounte murray starts the third mercifully they start losing they're still out there even against dallas's backups until maybe like six minutes left in the game after you already saw luca get hurt in this meaningless part of the game and you know the spurs don't play again until wednesday so the rest issue wasn't as big but it was still pretty pointless especially because those guys going against Dallas's backups actually could have gotten them back in the game which would have been a, a big problem because they would have the spurs would have potentially given up the nine seed in the lottery as well by winning and tying the wizards so that was weird it ended up not coming back to bite them however so golden state three they're gonna play denver Denver and Utah both won. Actually, actually, Nate, I don't know if you know this. As we've been recording, Denver Lakers is in oh, overtime. No. Oh yeah, but but Utah. It won doesn't matter. Anyway, so. No, no, just the glory yeah. that this season is continuing for the Lakers. Who get that? I know that's exactly what their fans want most. Is just for this season to <laughs> to never end. Oh, that's great. Yeah, 137-137 in overtime. Oh, uh, Danny, do you happen to catch that Utah Portland score? By the way, yes, I have no further comment. <laughs> We made a bet on last night's show about uh, 19 and a half, whether Utah would cover. I didn't even know this game was in Portland, actually. I was like, I said 25 would be, wouldn't be high enough for me to take Portland. And Portland actually was stuck around within 10 through like the beginning of the third and then uh, fell apart a little bit. And, for, and, uh, not, the uh, and Donovan and, and Mitchell the Jazz, didn't by play. The way, yeah, Donovan Mitchell didn't play, although we didn't know that when we made the I, I knew that he was and, unlikely to play when we did. Oh, okay. Yeah, I hadn't seen that. Oh, you're taking advantage of the new father who's not able to keep keep up with any every single n- niggling little are, are injury you, are, are you around the league you're complaining when you actually won anyway well well I, I mean you know if they'd had mitchell they would have they would have won by 41 instead of 31 but anyway yeah and utah won while going nine of 36 on threes yeah no <laughs> they no missed one, their first 17 I, I, threes I, of the I, game i think the portland the portland tank even if you wanted to try to change course it was it was moving at at ridiculous speeds and there was just no way of turning that around and i I mean they started keon johnson brandon williams cj lb dd luzada i'm not even sure who the four is and and reggie perry yeah reggie perry i guess five five. um yeah so in any event so denver golden state utah and dallas i still continue to think that utah is a little bit more dangerous than everyone is giving them credit for because they've had these collapses but hey they've also been good enough to be up 25 against good teams three times in the last in the last two weeks 
so probably worth worth noting that as well also of interest actually is hilarious that this denver game is in overtime because utah is the tiebreaker against denver and that's why utah is going to be the five but denver if they win uh, would tie utah and potentially actually there'll be a coin flip for those lottery odds so actually denver if they could lose this one would move up a a pick in the draft which would be very nice for them another just kind of hilarious one that was meaningless before we get to the lottery positioning that got solidified today chicago and minnesota played one another totally meaningless game in terms of playoff seating however chicago was one game behind minnesota and chicago by winning Chicago was up big. Minnesota kind of came back, but Chicago put it away at an Iodesumo three in the last minute. Chicago now is actually tied with Minnesota. And so Minnesota could potentially leapfrog them with a coin flip in the lottery as, in, as in well. So this, the, not the lottery in the post. Or not, not the lottery. Thank you. Just the draft. Yeah. Yeah. So the, they're in competition for the 18th pick and denver and utah are going to be either 21 or 22 we'll keep you updated here uh, on lakers denver 135 a piece or 137 a piece at ot here now while we're talking about the bottom um we could go through oh, yeah. how that happened and the dominoes started in the early slate of games we brought up the cleveland milwaukee game another one of the early ones was atlanta houston atlanta had a lot to play for to try to get into at the time to get into the 7-8 but cleveland beating milwaukee vanquished that and and Brooklyn winning vanquished that so instead Atlanta won but Houston had plenty to lose for because if they had won and Orlando had lost then they would have split the one and two odds we we talked about that at length yesterday and but the Houston game occurred before Orlando played which gave Orlando the clarity in terms of their draft position that it didn't matter that they ended up beating let them know that it was safe it was safe to win Miami rusting all theirs got uh, victor oladipo had 40 uh, against his old team although orlando still won that one they did 125 111 detroit needed to lose to make sure that they didn't catch up with oklahoma city that was not a problem they lost to the Embiid and hardenless sixers yeah and, and did so by resting a ton of guys including Kate. speaking of resting a ton of guys oklahoma city lost by 50 to the clippers yeah so i think the clippers actually did they finish with a positive point differential now oh no it was san antonio that i think actually they did it, it by, they did so that was a john yeah. schumann thing that san antonio finished with the worst record in nba history for a team with a positive point differential the spurs ended the season 34 and 48 and had a positive differential and and yeah, for those that, for the those wondering, team, yeah, yes, San yes. Antonio, their record and net rating in what are called clutch games, as you know, it's defined by the NBA's thing, so that's five points within the final five minutes. Net rating, negative 12.3. That's actually not too bad. One loss record, 15 and 24. So that's actually, you know, so that's not great, but it's not as, like, the Pacers, for example, were 11 and 34 in close games. Yeah, I I mean, really for San Antonio, it was more about winning a bunch of blowouts than it was just being so terrible in close games. And then also, by the way, the last team to do that, to have this bad of a record while having a positive point differential was the 76-77 Suns who were fresh off an NBA Finals appearance and then went to have a losing record the next year. They played that classic triple overtime game against the Celtics in the 76 Finals. 
yeah so oklahoma city we thought maybe that they could end up losing against the the clippers but that was not the case the clippers just have too much quality depth even though the clippers didn't play their guys indiana did try to win i mean i think they knew oklahoma city was going to lose anyway uh indiana despite the fact that they weren't just like not playing it guys like healed and halliburton lost 10 in a row to close the season portland lost 11 in a row to secure their 27 and 55 six overall lottery seed and so indiana still will have a 42 percent chance being in the top four portland 37 percent chance and sacramento was alone at 30 and 52 they actually went five and five in their last 10 with fox and sabonis shut down won a couple of double tank games that, that really hurt them so uh but they're they're going to be the seven seed the new orleans pelicans and almost all certainty will be the eighth seed in the lottery unless by taking the li- by taking the, the lakers seed. odds right right they will be the eighth seed it's just a question of whether three teams pass them which there's less than a one percent chance of happening and they will also have a 26 percent chance of getting in the top four themselves and the grizz get screwed that pick can Converts to two second, and that pick was supposed to be the big jewel of the Valanciunas trade and taking on Bledsoe. They also moved up from seventeen to ten. They got Zaire Williams, which I think they're happy about. But I mean, that that's pretty crazy that top 10 protection you thought wow great job by the Grizz making a top 10 protected like the at least if the Lakers make it in the play and they'll they'll never give this up and even had the Lakers made it into the play and it still would have been questionable San Antonio is nine Washington 10 Washington had an important loss to stay behind New Orleans and possibly New York although New Orleans won and then Atlanta and Charlotte are tied for 13 and regardless of what happens from here on out even if Atlanta beats Charlotte in the play-in the there will still be a coin flip so charlotte could lose to atlanta have a worse postseason outcome and still pick after them but i believe if, if i counted it out correctly that so charlotte owes a top 18 protected pick originally sent to the knicks for the what became kai jones i believe that even if charlotte makes the playoffs if they make the eight that that's they're still they're still keeping that pick uh yeah i mean even if new orleans or san antonio made it in also and pushed them down a little bit they would be ahead of the clippers too if the clippers made it in and minnesota got kicked out yeah they're still going to keep that pick i think it would be impossible so let's catch up on some news here as well Ben Simmons has been doing one-on-zero work. There's a, a video of him at least shooting some fadeaway jumpers around the facility yesterday. There is optimism, according to Shams, that Ben Simmons could make his debut during the first round of the playoffs, as long as his progression continues and strengthening his legs and his back. But he really hasn't even been able to do much conditioning yet, it seems like, at least on court. Uh, so we'll see. Also worth noting for the Nets that they are the first team in a non-pandemic season since the 55-56 Knicks to have a better I'm sorry to have a losing record at home and a winning record on the road Schumann had that and, and that's not all about Kyrie Irving it was they and I think it was 14 and 4 in road games that Kyrie Irving did not play in so interesting yeah K- KD seems to get fired up for road games I remember that the later stages Dynasty Warriors were sort of the same as well where where they, they would get up for big games on the road and much less so at, at home would have a bunch of inexplicable home losses the Spurs and Pacers both did this last year but of course that was a season in which there was a weakened home court advantage and then we're just waiting for word on what's going to happen with Simmons grievance against the Sixers but some sad news out of Charlotte here there was a thought that they were just resting Gordon Hayward to have him ready for the play-in but that's not the case 
No, Gordon Hayward has he has continued discomfort in his left foot. He's now being put in a cast to immobilize that left foot, and he's reevaluated in two weeks. That means not only, as I interpret it, not only is Hayward out for the play-in, one or both games should Charlotte advance, I think he's out for the entire first round. Because if he's being reevaluated from something like this in two weeks, and the long, like the second round, or the first round extends another week beyond that, he's not coming. He's not come back this year even if they make it out of the play-in yeah so it was a foot sprain he tried to come back after a while ramped up his activity and then obviously played a couple of games and then obviously was experiencing continued pain and, and that's of course the the one that he had the dislocated ankle on the first play of basically his first play as a Boston Celtic in 2017 and this Gordon Hayward signing you and I were extremely critical of it not only because four years 120 million seemed like a huge amount for him given his injury issue issues and age but then also because to make the space for him they had to stretch Nikola Batum who was making about 30 million so basically Gordon Hayward if you think about it that way cost 40 million dollars on their books for the first three years of his contract rather than 30 and also just because it was totally short-circuiting the process they just got in the mellow ball yes you know what Gordon Hayward played real well at the start of last year and the Hornets were like four games over 400 or 500 although they had done a really good job in close games and so that wasn't necessarily real and then he went down at the end of last year so the point of bringing him in we're like what is the point of this right well the point is i guess in theory to make the playoffs they didn't do that they made the play in they're the 10th seed last year the 10th seed this year by the way how hilarious is it that the 10th seed the treadmill of mediocrity is real the 10th seed is the same team two years in a row (laughs) the first two years of the play-in um but uh, getting into so getting not, the yeah. treadmill, that meant that th- yeah. having Gordon Hayward, not only did you lose that money for these years, but also he made the team better last year. And so they had 33 wins yeah. if they had been... But but not better in a way that mattered. Exactly. So the if, end, they, right? if they had had, let's say, 30 wins or 27 wins, then maybe... I'm not going to say they would have jumped up in the lottery like Toronto did at 27 and 45. But if even if they get to, you know, to have, have a pick somewhere in that range, you brought up Franz Wagner as a possibility here but any number of i mean Kamingo went around this range like they could have yeah even even someone like moses moody davion mitchell would look pretty good in their uniforms Zaire williams would look pretty good in their uniform right now and instead they didn't have uh they ended up trading for the pick that became ty guns and they got james book knight at 11 who was I mean, they probably should have drafted who who, who was on their football, roster but, this year. James McDaniel. Uh, he was on their roster this year. That that is correct, and not looking like one of the better options in this rookie class at the moment. So, and now you know who knows what's going to happen with Hayward in the future. He's just be two years in a row that he wasn't able to finish, wasn't able to help them at the most critical time of the year when they, in theory, signed him. He's going to be a pretty toxic contract. I mean, I think you know when healthy, you can argue that he's you know maybe worth something in the low twenties, but he can't really score one on one anymore. He's a, defensive liability and then of course there are the health issues and he's also just getting older in general in terms of performance problems so yeah just a disastrous signing and there are many people who are like hey they had to get respectable crawl walk run you guys don't understand what it's like in this small market and like hey yeah, you know what? We they it was slightly better than expected over the first six months of the contract. We weren't objecting to it because of what was gonna happen in the first six months of the contract. I don't 
Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. In Indiana, yeah, let's go there. I I thought it, I was hoping that uh, Rick Carlisle could ride off into the sunset with an inspiring victory in his last game as Pacers coach, but unfortunately, it didn't. Looks like he and, and also he made it clear earlier in the week that Carlisle intends to stay as the coach. He's not transitioning into yeah. A front that, of- that, it was that was tongue in yes. cheek. Obviously, there had been a lot of noise in that, and, and we'll see. He said, "Yes, I will stay as coach," but yeah, we'll see. But Mark Stein talked about the decisions that Indiana is facing this offseason season they could potentially have cap space they might they might get in the bidding for Jalen Brunson they um as Stein put it numerous rival teams have the impression that the Pacers will be trying to move Malcolm Brogdon remember that they have Tyrese Halliburton and Chris Duarte now on the guard line though you could theoretically play those three together at times when you want to Brogdon was ineligible to be traded at the deadline because he signed that extension and so the extended trade rules were still in place there and then Miles Turner there is a decision point on him as well because he will have one year left on his contract and we'll see what the Pacers do we'll do their offseason preview at some point indeed and d- yeah did you mention that they might be in on supposedly on Jalen yes. Brunson as well yeah, yeah which would be th- that's really weird to me because they already have too many guards and they already have Tyrese Halliburton as their point guard I don't really understand why that would be the case that seems more like kind of hey they'll have cap space agent fodder Rick Carl used to coach him I don't know why Jalen Brunson would want to go there to play with the guy who benched him in last year's playoffs necessarily. and, and- a worse team than Dallas like if you're going to be a if you're going to be not the lead guy on a team you'd rather be that on a superior squad I would guess but maybe there's something that draws him to Indiana we'll also have to keep yeah it was also interesting by the way that TJ McConnell returned that seemed like maybe you know most it's very rare that you'll see a guy have an injury absence as long as he did his was for a thumb so it wasn't the ramp up wasn't as arduous for him as it would be for a lower body injury where your activity was limited but it seemed like maybe that's just kind of showcasing him showing he's healthy 
reminding people he exists for a possible offseason trade. The Miami Heat but the, are yeah. dealing with the, what surprised me, news, that Bam Adebayo entered the health and safety protocols. We don't know the timing on this, obviously. I mean, so there's still enough time for him to clear the protocols and return for their game because Miami is not playing until Sunday afternoon. That That's good news for them. That is good news for them. And, and we don't know who they are playing. They could be playing the Brooklyn Nets, possibly. Potentially. And also, I think if it's, if it's the Hawks, I think they could have a real series on their hand. They played a pretty close game just this last week. But but yeah, I mean, I think this is... Bam probably has symptoms because remember, they're not, most teams are not doing regular testing unless it's for unvaccinated players. And Miami did confirm that they're fully vaccinated. So he could potentially rejoin the team sooner. But he probably is having symptoms if he got tested or maybe there was someone else around the team where then everyone who was symptomatic and everyone else had to get tested at that point. So if he is symptomatic, it might take him a little while to get over things. But yeah, you know, that's not the, the foot you want to be getting started on, particularly a guy like Bam who needs to be able to play hard, needs to have his win. Hopefully, though, with, if he's fully vaccinated, it's not an issue. Hopefully, we're not going to see more of these start sweeping the league again. You know, we're maybe about four months after everyone was getting their boosters. That's when it starts to wane. Maybe it's a little concerned, but case rates overall are, are pretty low these days. And also, they're not going to be testing people unless there's a max. So that's a hope that, that this is not going to become an epidemic again. They also have Gorn. Dragic out with COVID. Those are the only two. We've also been seeing a ramp up of non-COVID illnesses around the league. That includes D'Angelo Russell missing a couple of games, including that aforementioned loss that Minnesota had to the Chicago Bulls. We'll, we'll see more of that, I think, as as things shift. And the hope is that they're continuing that you know non-COVID illnesses are better than COVID illnesses. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Per Shamstranya, it's not likely that we will see Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr in the playoffs not likely is not no but not likely is not likely and that is unfortunate we would love to see those guys play and we'd love to even more to see them at full strength but we'll have to probably wait until the 22-23 season for that to be the case moxie kleba has now missed four straight games with right ankle soreness the mavericks don't play for roughly another week but they need him desperately Certainly, and in particular, if Luca is out, they could struggle to score. And I mean, they're just they're going to need to hang on until he gets back, assuming that he's not able to start the series. Like at least get one of the first two at home, and then maybe hope that he can come back for game three or four in Dallas or in Utah, win one of those two, and then be a two-two series. But they're going to be scrounging there. Golden State, by the way. Hey, remember Steph Curry? That he's injured, and remember how? Oh yeah, no, he's going to be fine. He'll be even be able to come back and play a couple games before the regular season season ends another reason why we are always skeptical about these timelines golden state they're not alone but so many times we've seen whether it was kevin durant in 2019 andre guadala spiral fracture in his knee that they didn't tell anyone about in 2018 or james wiseman where they didn't even say that he had a second surgery and then he took forever again after that or clay took a little bit longer to come back than people were talking about even this year and now stuff is taking longer as well maybe he's just struggling with this injury it, you know it's definitely it seems like these teams really would just be smarter just for whatever pr reasons they always want to minimize the amount of time that it's going to be and people around the player always want to also players always believe they can come back etc but for whatever reason just remember when we're skeptical of these times 
timelines this is why steve kerr said it's yes or no whether he's going to be able to play in their first game they play on saturday so he's not going to have an extra day they're going to try and scrimmage this week it doesn't steve didn't give any kind of an update he said he has to talk to rick celebrini about what he's done while they were gone yeah i'm sure steve didn't hear a single thing about what steph's activity level was when, when they're on this road trip so maybe they're just for gamesmanship they want to for the playoffs they don't want to reveal anything we may see him end up being a game time decision we'll find out about some about his activity level i guess during the week but i'll take him at their word for now that he's might play might not play they got to just see how the ramp up goes it still seems like he hasn't engaged in any kind of basketball activity competitively at this point speaking of murky timelines john collins we haven't heard anything on him in about a month and originally his status was going to be updated in 10 to 14 days so there's that we'll have to i mean my assumption is that he won't be available for the play-in but we haven't heard anything definitive from anyone involved there were also a series of signings around the league some of this related to converting two-way players like Kessler Edwards so they would be eligible to play in the playoffs the Nets waived James Johnson for that others it was I mean I always think of Miami doing this with Duncan Robinson and a few others where you sign somebody late in the year and then you give them a component whether it's a partial guarantee or something else for 22-23 we've seen a number of those around the league when we get more of the terminology on that probably can get into some of those a little bit more I believe Juwan Morgan was another one of those. And then uh, congratulations to Joel Embiid. He won the scoring championship. Giannis didn't play in the last day. LeBron and Kevin Durant both didn't participate in enough games. So we had talked about that a little while ago, about how then you you basically add, you you pretend that they played more games. And so you, you're just, it's a larger denominator. So that made it harder for, for them to succeed. And Nate, I don't know how much you've been checking Twitter as we've been recording this, but there is one other piece of news. What is it? The Lakers mercifully ended the regular season with a 146-141 overtime win. And I can't tell for sure because we were recording this, but I believe in the same minute that they won that game, Woj tweeted this exact out, this exact thing out. Frank Vogel has coached his final game for the Lakers, a decision that's expected to be shared with him as soon as Monday. Oh, oh, well, I think it might be shared with him before that. Lakers search expected to be lengthy and expansive with no clear initial front runner and... First things first. I mean, let's not lose sight of the, let's not lose sight of the fact that Frank Vogel was the coach when the Lakers won a championship two seasons ago, but less than two years ago because of the delays in that. It was like yeah. well, like a year and a uh, half ago. And by the way, he did a great job last year. Yes, too, he did. But also to to handle this, even though everybody knew this was coming and that it was like I, a lot of people, including me, thought it was going to happen during the year. That this seems like a pretty poor way to handle it, especially for a coach that 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 did good work for you even if they thought that he was the reason that things went badly this year something i vehemently disagree with but this is an an example of many that the lakers are an organization that is poorly managed right now pretty incredible and yeah frank vogel to me was number 25 or at least we'll say i mean how how many rostered players did the lakers actually have on their roster this year because uh, can we list off every single one of them as bigger reasons than frank vogel why they didn't succeed and you know that i generally am not one of these people who's oh it's so sacred coach didn't deserve to lose his job etc like i think that people are probably too 
slow to fire coaches a lot of the times all the belly aching about how he didn't have a chance and he and deserve ain't got nothing to do with it when they get fired i say that all the time it's about your argument to keep your job i thought frank vogel made two pretty goddamn good arguments to keep his job in 2020 and 2021 and injuries and roster failures i mean you and i talked about it that the la lakers it was anthony davis lebron james and no player who was better than 38th at their position on the roster no player that's the fucking roster they put together and now he's taking the blame for that because you know of course hey rob palinka and lebron we're such geniuses to have put together this roster and got russell westbrook prioritize that can't be our fault it's gotta gotta be frank vogel and okay maybe frank's relationship with ad and lebron deteriorated or something and that's why this is necessary but i what what a goddamn joke and and especially for it to leak this way with this tweet by Woj that he it'll be shared with him as soon as monday unbelievable all right well hopefully you find this podcast unbelievable in a different sort of way than the la lakers and the shit show that they are hopefully frank vogel will be in demand for another coaching job i'm sure the coaching carousel will ramp up here in the next couple of days there don't seem to be many imminent firings other than him at this point and we'll of course uh, be covering things we still got to do awards we got delayed on that a little bit with the baby got to catch up on our over-unders this week as well where we went right and wrong on those and of course cover the playing games and we're gonna give the outlook for all eight series as well so super busy week and for those of you on the public pod i hope you'll consider subscribing the link is in your show notes and you can also stay tuned to listen to our outlook for the two seven eight games right after this ah the sweet sound of sports you love from sling the collide of football pads the squeak of shoes on a basketball court the crack of the bat on a home run the slice of skates cutting across the ice but what about this one That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. All right, welcome on to a play-in preview edition. Sorry, play-in outlook. Preview is far too mundane to describe what we're going to do. We're going to give you the outlook. We're going to tell you what is going to happen in the 7-8 with everything set from this morning. And we'll probably talk about that later on today of just how things played out. Overall, we did that outlook yesterday of what was going to happen today. It's been total chalk so far. Teams that have incentive to win versus teams that have incentive to lose teams with incentive to win usually win but let's begin here in the eastern conference with the brooklyn nets versus the cleveland cavaliers let's start by discussing the injury situation for both teams that is a good place to start because there are potential injuries that could affect it we we know that colin sexton and dean wade will obviously be out for the Cavs. those guys have season ending injuries and jared allen still to be determined to an extent though joe varden's report about a week ago for the athletic was that it's a matter of if not when for Jared Allen's return which does not bode well for him coming back quickly and obviously on Tuesday would be pretty quickly there did not play in what were what looked to be some important final games so I would love to be surprised but my expectation not my you know certainty is that he will not play I'm more confident in Seth Curry being able to play he did not compete he was not on the floor in the Nets seven seed clinch 
clinching win over the Pacers. Full credit to the Pacers for actually keeping it close, keeping it in contact at the end. And then Goran Dragic has been in the health and safety protocols for eight days as of now. So it would be like 11 or 12. We don't know if he will be available. And then while there was reporting that from from Shams that Ben Simmons could debut during the first round of the playoffs, note the verbiage there is the first round of the playoffs, not the play in. So I would say Seth Curry probably in. Ben Simmons definitely out. Goran Dragic let's we'll see yeah curry didn't play today he said he's been dealing with soreness in this ankle my guess would be that against the pacers they figured it was better to hold him out they felt like they could handle the pacers without him and yeah you know i mean they could <laughs> but it was still a, a little bit of a struggle so you know the Cavs winning the bucks not trying we'll talk more about that on tonight's show and that that decision and, and how that ended up impacting things but the Cavs did get evan mobley back for this game and he played pretty well you'll recall that the game on friday the nets had a 17 point lead cleveland erased it and led by seven with a 34 21 third and then a 35 19 fourth quarter by the nets took it home kd had 36 points he was plus 16 in 41 minutes both of these teams their main guys are going to be pretty tired darius garland's been playing 40 minutes a game basically kd Kyrie have been playing a ton as well so we're going to assume that seth curry's going to play Dragic is doubtful and you know i think it's going to be tough to get him back nets actually started today with curry out kessler edwards and bruce brown i'm guessing that they'll probably go back to andre drummond as the stars start the same guys they did it in that game which is irving curry brown durant and drummond so you still have the two non-shooters on the floor not that that really affected things very much as the nets had a 130 offensive rating in this game and i think though the place i want to start is on the end of the floor where we thought cleveland might struggle if they got in the playoffs even when they were running well and we weren't taking them that seriously as a playoff team and of course they have not run well they've been well into the negative in terms of net rating after the all-star break but on the offensive end for cleveland and how the nets are going to try to defend darius garland darius garland presents a problem and there are a couple of different approaches you could try to switch so that there aren't seams there you could even send doubles and try to challenge a coro and karis Levert and larry marketing to try to beat you the Cavs do have some capable shooters there they also have some reluctant shooters on the weak side it will depend on on the given matchup and the bigger concern for me and ideally this would be the sales pitch for karis Levert, is that his former team the brooklyn nets has and this will come up a lot should the nets make the playoffs they have extremely weak perimeter size just they're they're often playing three point guard sized guys out there and cleveland is big in terms of listed heights but i don't think and less so of course if jared allen is unavailable but they don't really have a ton of players large or small who can really punish that size disadvantage and that i think is is another important part of this that in defending garland yeah we'll see larry markin has never really been able to get into the post very much that's not something that they've done with him okoro took two shots and lamar stevens took five those are the guys who are are probably going to be the ones who are going to be hidden not that there's any one great perimeter defender i mean probably you think it'll be bruce brown on garland we'll likely see some switching though from the nets uh, as well and challenging mobley to beat them some in the post garland to beat them one-on-one which i think he can do if he's going well and he had a great game uh, on friday which i will be transparent i did not see because i was on paternity leave but and maybe a coro and stevens 
when they are matched up against someone like Curry and Irving can just try to attack on the offensive glass, get out in transition, finish at the rim before the nets are back. I, I think the transition, which is not really something that JB Bickerstaff teams or the Cavs have been amazing at this year, that's where the nets can really be vulnerable. Uh, in this Pacers game, they hit, gave up a ton of fast break points, turned it over a lot. I don't think that this Cavs team really has a bunch of guys who can force turnovers. Without Jared Allen and Mobley, they don't have a bunch of guys who can force missed layups. So I don't really like the Cavs' ability to attack in the area where perhaps the Nets are the weakest, uh, which is in transition defense. What about on the glass? Do you think the Cavs can hurt them there? Potentially, but Cleveland's offensive rebounding overall 10th in the league this year, significantly less robust when Jared Allen is off the floor. One potential wrinkle that J.B. Bickerstaff could throw into the mix is Kevin Love is a fantastic offensive rebounder. It's just that he spends less of his time now in position for that because he's a capable three-point shooter. Bickerstaff could deploy him in that capacity during this game, could also take advantage. The Nets have been better running when they've had like Kyrie on the floor overall, but could also take advantage of, you know, the bet that Brooklyn isn't going to be the most aggressive running team and the numbers have shifted around a little bit without Harden. And so I'm I'm I think that going harder after the offensive glass it is not a bulletproof strategy, but I think it is one that could give them some some real returns or at least make the Nets think twice about some of the personnel, some of the approaches that they have. Yeah, and if they had Jared Allen, that, that might look a, a little bit better. Another problem, uh, we'll, we'll get to the Cavs defensive issue. You know, yeah, Love, I think another thing where he could be really useful is pick and pop. Nets are probably going to switch that. Love can get into the post. Cavs have to get into those actions early so that they're not up against the shot clock. Love can draw some fouls underneath banging around there with the dark arts against the mismatches pass out of that unfortunately the Cavs don't really have shooting outside of Markinen and Garland um the other thing that'll be really interesting is when the Cavs have Mobley out of the game I mean I imagine they'll try to play him 40 minutes but when Mobley was out they went with love at center and didn't have another center on the floor at times or another big like they would have love as the lone oh let me see am I misreading that yeah I apologize I am misreading that they went that way for a few minutes right at the start of the second and fourth but largely i think they'll either have marketing and love or market and mobley love and mobley so they're not going to go small they're going to try to just do a three-man big rotation there you certainly are really drawing dead defensively if you don't have mobley in the game so and then also another problem is garland they're negative 10 rondo is back but he was negative 10 in the nine minutes that he played garland had to play 41 minutes so mobley and Garland and then Irving and KD I and mean, those guys who knows how many minutes those guys are all going to play like they're going to all be over 40 minutes I expect unless foul troll interview. that is going to be a huge factor in the game and getting a couple days off now and then getting remember that the team that loses the 7-8 game they have two off days and depending on which of these teams falls they might not even have to travel to, before the Friday elimination game so you can push your guys harder here I think that there is a, a credible reason to do so if the game is competitive. But are we ready to switch into when the Nets uh, have the ball? Well, what, one other thing I want to talk about also, you know, I think the Cavs don't have great passing. Lavert, you know, I'd like to see him be able to attack more in isolation or maybe do some more stuff with Garland off the ball to cause some miscommunications on Brooklyn switches. But the Cavs don't really play that way. They don't have that sort of veteran passing game that's going to cause miscommunications in Brooklyn's switch game. When Drummond is in, 
in. You know, we haven't seen Blake Griffin or or Aldridge in really the last month or so. When Drummond is in, it may be a conventional pick and roll defense. That's probably where Garland could have some success, uh, particularly with Mobley uh, as the role man, as an alley oop threat. I think when if, if I'm Brooklyn, I definitely don't want Drummond playing any minutes when Mobley isn't in the game because then he's just going to get spaced out too much by marketing and love. Uh, so that that would be too much of a problem. So I, I imagine they'll start with Drummond in a conventional pick and roll defense and put Brown on Darius Garland and Brown will just have to get over the screen. They'll switch other matchups. And so, you know, would they consider switching Drummond? Who's had some moments as a switch guy this year onto Garland? Can Cleveland force them to do that? Would they play Drummond off the floor completely? Force Brooklyn to go more to say Kessler Edwards instead? They actually, Brooklyn actually released James Johnson so they could sign Kessler Edwards to a regular NBA contract so he could be on the postseason roster. And he, as I mentioned, he started to get today. By the way, yeah. so thankful that the league changed back this rule because otherwise it would have been really unfair to the highest performing two-way players that they could just stay on those contracts. It's now Kessler Edwards on it. The, you know, they forced the Nets hand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's turn to how the hell Cleveland is going to stop these guys. Um, even when they had Jared Allen, I think it would have been a struggle. Okoro oh, it, it, and Stevens. Well, I mean, yeah, go ahead. it would have been a huge problem because what Cleveland does best defensively is protect the basket and they, they do a genuinely great job of that. Brooklyn, seventh lowest rim frequency in the entire league. They are not exactly the most robust foul drawing team. They're actually top half of the league, but not ridiculous there. And so that that's what the Cavs do best. Not the only thing that Cleveland does well defensively, but Brooklyn, not you're not taking that as much away from them. But for me, the bigger challenge is Cleveland's lack of reliable perimeter defenders. It's you could say the high lack of high end guys, especially for Durant, that's a problem. But also the amount of guys that you either want to hide or that you don't feel comfortable in some of these matchups, it's going to just wreak havoc for J.B. Bickerstaff because how in the world do you handle having Darius Garland and Karis LeVert on the floor together when the other team has these two huge threats? Yeah, Kyrie should be able to cook either of those guys in isolation. Perhaps, depending on how the game is going, Cleveland might consider having Okoro and Stevens on the floor together to try to deal with both of those guys. Maybe they'll even try Rondo as you know playoff Rondo or sorry play in Rondo to summon the ghost of the past to guard Kyrie but I don't think that's going to work very well either I, I think Kyrie in some ways to me has an even easier matchup than KD does because they at least have two guys with some kind of size to guard KD I expect though we're going to see plenty of double teaming of Kevin Durant and um, that's why Curry's status is going to be so important if they can get more shooting around KD and really really punish that it could be pretty ugly for Cleveland presumably they'll have Mobley in, in a drop coverage maybe they'll try switching Evan Mobley onto Kevin Durant maybe that's something that they'll give a, sh- a shot to I'd love to see it just for my own entertainment yeah. now another interesting thing that the Nets have in their bag and this is what they did in their comeback from the 35-19 deficit or the 35-19 fourth quarter I should say where they came back from down seven was going with Kevin Durant at center and now again Curry will have to be healthy for that to really work but then you're just I guess Evan Mobley is now going to guard him maybe if if Edwards is one of the guys out there they could put Mobley on Edwards and hide him to get some help but I think ultimately Cleveland just doesn't quite have the personnel to hurt the Nets they're not quite good enough on the offensive boards they're not quite good enough in transition they're not quite good enough at forcing turnovers the Nets force zero turnovers and they can get a little bit lazy sometimes with passes particularly KD they don't have the horses to me to beat the Nets in the way that they can be beaten and they just don't also have enough talent and explosive 
toughness to stick with the Nets when the Nets are scoring really well, which I expect them to do in this game. So I I mean, I'm not going to say that the Nets are ever going to win a game easily because they seem completely incapable of anything ever being easy. This pace, Inclu- Including Sunday against the Pacers. Yeah, Sunday against the Pacers or Friday when they're up 17 against Cleveland and let them take a seven-point lead at the end of the third. So I'm not going to say that Brooklyn is going to blow them out, but I think it's going to be a similar sort of fashion, maybe some sphincter-tightening moments from Brooklyn at times, but that they're also largely going to be in control, and I, I think they're going to take this one. Uh, and obviously, the, and I, I, I could see KD not having the biggest game. I could see them trying to take the ball out of his hands more. Um, maybe if Brooklyn just can't hit shots, maybe that's the best hope for the Cavaliers. But I, I think KD is just going to be too much for them, and he's I expect him to have a bunch of assists and for Brooklyn to win this one. I, I there isn't a soul out there you would think is going to pick the Cavaliers, but this is the NBA. It's a make or miss league. This is only one game. Like it absolutely could happen. I just don't think it will. I, I, I want to start. I want to start the Clippers Wolves section with this incredible stat from oh, yeah. Law Murray that the Clippers and Timberwolves have been in the seven or eight seeds in the West ever at the end of every single day since January twenty sixth. This has been in the cards for an extremely long time. That was you know we, Minnesota has been you know they've been a surprise overall this year and they've gotten there and then the Clippers that was where they ended up. They've gotten some important guys back, including Paul George and Norman Powell. Yeah, and I don't I, think we, I don't think it's been talked about enough. Certainly not on this program because I was gone the last week. Of what a big deal it is having Norman Powell back. Yes, as well. Like Norman Powell would have been the best offensive player on the Clippers if not for the return of Paul George as well. Like they've gotten two guys back in the last two weeks who are better offensive players than anyone that they had available for like a three-month period, essentially, other than the three games that Powell played. With that return, though, I still think the most fascinating dynamic of this 7-8 is how Ty Lue and the Clippers want to defend Carl Anthony Towns. And that's not only scheme, it's also personnel. Because Towns, if you want to go small, he can attack that in the post or as pick-and-pop guy. We've seen that at various times. And if you want to play big, he can take those guys out into the deep water, whether that is to make shots himself or to create driving lanes for Edwards and D'Angelo Russell and, and everybody else. And so how Lou wants to handle that, I think that's the keystone to this game. Yeah. And a big part of handling that is going to be the decision of whether to go big with Zubats and Hartenstein or whether to go small with, I would say they probably would put Marcus Morris on Towns Morris is probably a tougher defender than he is quick at this point in time and he's earlier in his career he was able to guard pretty well with strength but he might hold up okay in the post against Towns and possibly be able to switch and I think you also would rather have Batum off the ball on the back line since he's likely their best help defender the return of Powell certainly makes it possible to close out halves and games better by going small and what would you say well what's your opinion on this is it better to go small or stick with the Zubats Hartenstein approach against this Wolves offense which has been quite explosive the last half or so of the year I would lean towards going small but not so much because of the defensive end but because of what that can give you offensively and the way that it can bend Minnesota's defense which we'll get into in a bit and also partially because my instinct is that the bottom falling out you know like the downside risk is actually not dramatically different and so it could go really badly and you can of course switch out it's a nice thing you don't have to lock it in it's not like baseball where when you sub a guy out they never 
never come back in or anything like that. But my instinct is going to have to kind of try to get the ball out of Towns' hands at some point, bring those opportunity doubles depending on where he gets the ball. And I would I would live with that if that's what it takes. That's why this being a one-game situation is so fascinating because Ty Luke got a lot of plaudits last year for the way he coached and certainly he did well to keep his team in it mentally going down 2-0 in three successive series. However, it took him a while to get to where they needed to be. They were not ready to play defensively against Luka Doncic in that first series. They had comically bad defense in games one and two, which they lost both of. And they had the talent advantage against Utah as well in games one and two. Remember, Kawhi was healthy for that, and they still lost both games. Can't fuck around. This is a one-game scenario. And Ty Lu, but the other problem with going small, though, is Marcus Morris has not been the same guy this year. Batum hasn't been quite in the same type of shape from a body composition standpoint. Still a good player, but not quite at the level that he was last year. PG is just coming back. Obviously, I think it's tough to say he's going to be quite at the level, even though he's had very nice moments in since he returned. Powell is just getting integrated as well. You got to have pretty good connectedness uh, to do some of this switching stuff. The Wolves do have some really good passers. All that said, Danny, I think I would still start the game small. I, w- I would, I would yeah. hold that in abeyance, not let them know until the very end. And I would just try to go out there and give them a different look and discombobulate them. Because you can always, to me, you can always go back to the conventional style. I also, to me, if you're going to play your centers, I would rather do that against Nas Reed than Carl Anthony Town. And Towns is obviously going to play a lot of minutes, but I think you should have a center on the floor whenever you're, uh, I don't know. I, I guess that's, you'd say, hey, no, we need someone to guard Towns. I think, no, you just need to get out there and outscore him. Because here's the thing, Dan, I don't think they can stop Carl Towns and Minnesota. Right, that, that, that's what I was getting big. at with the downside risk thing is yeah. I just don't think, I don't think the Clippers defense is going to be robust enough to handle it. So then you just try to score more. Yeah, and I think the other thing that to me should be the biggest staple of the Clippers attack, they don't really have great pick and roll play. They don't have great passers. Moving the ball has been somewhat of a weakness of this team. Now their shooting is going to be upgraded, but no matter how you're going to play, whether Minnesota is going to switch, which they probably aren't, or whether they're going to try to put two guys on the ball, maybe they'd even stick in a drop coverage potentially. But if they do that, now you've got Marcus Morris out there or whoever they put Carl Anthony Towns on to just pick and pop all day for a a wide open three. Or if they put two on the ball, you want to make sure that you have great shooters in the corners specifically to attack that four on three situation. The other thing that they clearly are going to do, and which I think, again, is much easier to do this when you have the floor space. And they they have enough guys to do that, right? Like, let's not forget, they got Powell, Batum, Morris, George, Covington, revenge game, Luke Kennard, they can at least throw him out there. You can have one kind of bad defender with that group. I don't think they would dig into, say, Brandon Boston overplaying a a center. I I know that they've got Reggie Jackson still, obviously. He'll be a big part of it. He knows how to play that way as well. They've got Amir Coffey they could put out in that situation. Not a great defender, but not someone with like a total target on his chest either. So they, even without Kawhi, they've got enough guys to play this way, I think. And playing that way will also give them a chance to attack some of the weak links for the Wolves, specifically D'Angelo Russell. I think that the the Clippers, this is something that Ty Lue loves to do, is go after that weak link over and over again. He's that old school style of NBA coach that loves to do that. And Paul George, Reggie Jackson in an ISO, Norman Powell in an ISO against D'Angelo Russell. So go at him, try to get two on the ball there, and then attack with a space floor after that. Attack with a space floor, and the Clippers 
numbers don't have quite the same thing, but they were one of the best shoot had one of the best shooting seasons we've ever seen last year. And so if you send extra people as Minnesota has done at times this year, either to get the ball out of somebody's hands or to try to create a turnover, which the Wolves have done very well overall, you're conceding something. And that is going to be a problem when you're facing a team that is a very good shooting squad overall that can prioritize that and that doesn't have a single creator so great they're getting the ball out of their hands is that much of a net benefit they can the Clippers aren't the greatest passing team in the world but they have a lot of guys that can make the easy decision and I think that's going to be a real problem for Minnesota and then you combine that I love that you brought the point about Ty Lue picking at the weaknesses of opponents. And you brought it up in terms of when Minnesota is defending. I'm also very interested in how that works when Minnesota is on offense, because they have made it work playing a typically a very limited offensive player next to Carl Anthony Towns, trying to get, keep the defense afloat, you know, using Vanderbilt in particular has really thrived in that role. That is a very different proposition in the regular season than it is in the playoffs. And the Clippers will do a nice job, even if they don't have the greatest defensive tactics in the very beginning as you brought up, knowing the personnel and knowing, okay, if we need to send help, if we need to send extra people, let's do it off the person who's not going to kill us. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Uh, and I assume the Wolves are going to start with Jared Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, if they go small, you know, he could hurt them. Like there are ways that he can do that with his offensive rebounding, his transition play, flying around defensively. He's a big part of why the Wolves can be effective if they are going to put two on the ball in pick and roll defense. But he also, as you mentioned, gives a, a place to help off of. He's not so explosive as a finisher that he can like really go up and get alley-oops and have a bunch of gravity around the rim the way some guys of his ilk can we haven't mentioned anthony edwards yet he's probably going to be the guy i would imagine guarding paul george maybe they'll try vanderbilt on him but i don't think vanderbilt they i think they want him more uh, on the back line i agree so that's going to be a lot for edwards now edwards of course if it is a switching game his step back three is going to be a really key component of what's happening he's also going to need to deal with potential double teams like we might see Ty Lue also really likes the switch double right like we could see that used quite a bit both against Towns particularly if Towns is on the perimeter and uh, against Anthony Edwards as well uh, up top but I mean that Edwards step back that's kind of a break in case of emergency for the Wolves and if he's making it like he did in that 49 point game then perhaps there's going to be trouble but I still see them trying to get the ball out of his hands then I think the question for Chris Finch is going to become what are we doing here with Jaden McDaniels Vanderbilt especially if they're double teaming and and not guarding him do you go with more of Malik Beasley in that case you know they still got Patrick Beverly as well he's going to be a big part of, of what they're doing but he could easily get into foul trouble I mean that'll be an, a revenge game for Beverly as well that's going to be a very interesting one Beverly surely is going to be involved in some sort of altercation maybe picking up a technical or something like that him he and Marcus Morris will be engaged I would imagine at some point in this game and so where Chris Finch is going to want to go are they going to need to play Beasley more because they're double teaming the main guys and they need to someone who's going to fill it up and make them pay for that would they even consider because remember also Russell is coming off of missing two games with this illness non-COVID illness so is he going to be ready to just go out there and play 35 40 minutes right away on Tuesday and if he's not would they consider replacing him with Beasley who's also not great defensively but at least again it's not going to have a target the way Russell would these are all very interesting questions what do you think if you're let's say the clips do in fact go small and, and we'll talk a little bit more about what it would look like when the clips go big because they are they're obviously going to do that some but let's say the clips go small what's your best lineup uh, if you're Minnesota going against assuming 
Russell is sufficiently healthy, I think you're you're using him at times. But I still, you know, this going back to that last Wolves gamer we did, I like the Edwards Towns actions better. And so, I mean, the logical ones for me, even even with Vanderbilt's limitations, I think you want to have Vanderbilt Towns Edwards Pat Bev, and then that last spot, I would lean towards Malik Beasley. I think he's you know we know we know he's a credible enough shooter that teams are going to defend him and the the point about not having as clear a target is an extremely important one where it isn't even necessarily about the aptitude sometimes of the player it's about giving the other team something obvious to do that they will do well that will put your defense into difficulty into rotation depending on what scheme you want to do so russell probably is the primary but i would be very ready to make beasley that fifth guy yeah it's going to be fascinating they've got i think obviously towns is always going to be on the floor sure beverly and edwards are really the only two-way players on the team that's a little bit of a concern it's a huge playoffs kind of setting maybe less of one in a one game scenario because there's not a bunch of time for players to get familiar for the scouting report to solidify now you're certainly going to spend more time and the clippers have known who they're going to be playing as have the wolves for a while so presumably their practices over the last little bit have just been focused on the opposition so this should look closer maybe from a scouting perspective to game one of a playoff series but it's game one except it's winner go home well actually it's not because the whoever loses will have another chance but you, you don't want to be in that situation you'd love to get the seventh seed i think also the clippers might actually have a chance to do something and and the wolves will at least think they have a chance to do something against memphis who's also a relative playoff ingenue you're probably drawn dead going into phoenix particularly if you're if you're the wolves so to answer my own question yeah i mean i just if they're not going to attack russell that much defensively i obviously you want him out there and chris finch has benched him on occasion surely though they're going to try to get him Jaden McDaniels we haven't mentioned him much Torian Prince is another guy they could maybe throw out there who at least is like you know, he's always been overrated defensively and he's not great but he's at least a body out there who's another guy who at least doesn't have a target on his back also Torian Prince hitting his threes 38 percent on I believe it was about nine uh seven per per 36 minutes yeah that was a good number for a small forward sure but it, it's just this is a Wolves team that just hasn't been stress tested at all and as much as we talked about Ty Lue's decision and and this is a Clippers team that absolutely has been yeah they've got Covington and Powell now but that just makes it that just gives Ty Lue even more potential strategic options if he wants to go smaller or just good options at, at the three and the four so I think the Clippers know who they are they've probably got the playoff coaching advantage I like Chris Finch but this is his first go at the playoffs basically everyone's first go at the playoffs in Minnesota sorry the play-ins Carl Anthony Towns hasn't really doesn't really have any kind of playoff experience he had that one series in 2018 where he really disappointed and Houston totally shut him down he's gonna have a lot to prove in this game he certainly has the skill set to be really good what what about if the Clippers go bigger I think at that point then you can have the Towns pick and pop game Russell can become a lot more effective the one thing that's going to absolutely kill me is that Carl Anthony Towns his drive game is really effective but he definitely is a very strong right-handed driver and you need to he's gotten better with his left hand but you need to make him go left and because he just wants to go finish off his left foot right side for layups and getting fouled that way you got to force him left to, on that close out which also has the advantage of getting you a little bit closer to his right shooting hand and also can make it sometimes hard to do those offhand passes to the opposite side if you bring help depending on how you structure it absolutely yeah uh, much much easier to pass it right to left for a right-handed player you know i think zubats can guard 
Towns a little bit reasonably well in the post. Hartenstein, I I would probably try to get Zubats and Hartenstein out there when Towns is out of the game because, and also if McLaughlin is in, because I think those guys can wall off the rim, make things difficult for the Wolves in that way. Like I don't think the Wolves are a good offense team necessarily when they've got Towns off the floor. How about the matchups defensively for the Clippers? Who are you putting on Anthony Edwards? I really enjoy Paul George as a ball hawk, as somebody who can be disruptive. Now, if you need to put him on Edwards, of course you can you can make that happen. But I I would actually my base alignment would probably be if you could pull it off to have oh I was gonna say that but actually Covington's great at that too so maybe you put Covington on Vanderbilt put PG on I, Edwards I think I'd probably I might start Powell there I, I don't even too. know who they're gonna start necessarily like like Terrence Mann to me is is their best defender he the one thing that they mi- are missing with Beverly like if Beverly were still on this team they would just have him he would be the guy to start on Edwards they In don't general, really, yeah you're right and George you just he, they need him for offense as well like maybe he could guard him at the end of the game George has actually slipped a little bit as an on-ball defender I like him better off ball as well as you mentioned yeah that that's the one thing that's a little bit more difficult would you so consider I think, I think PG Powell, on on Beverly I think that's one way to do it yeah that might be it uh, um and again yeah I have no idea who the hell they're gonna start honestly and I mean I think Powell will come off the bench unless they start small which I think would be a mistake like he's one of their five best players like he just needs to play Reggie Jackson is another really interesting one like can he summon some of the magic from last year's playoffs he has hasn't played the same way is he's a, a kind of better as an iso guy than a pick and roll guy but he can also play off the ball this is really one of the most particularly because the clippers like we just we've seen their their team for four games right? <laughs> like and and these are four games when they didn't even have to be trying they're just kind of taking it easy and Ty Lue certainly will get out there and start at the beginning of a, of a playoff series with a, a different look than you've seen yeah this is going to be an absolutely fascinating game and I think I ultimately am going to pick LA. I think they've got a little bit of a coaching coaching advantage. I think they have the best player, which is Paul George. I think they have way more versatility and ways to play, way more two-way options. They're more experienced. Yeah, certainly the home court for the Wolves is an issue and the Wolves have been playing extremely well. You know, I, I think they're the Wolves are a pretty damn good team for a seven seed, but the Clippers, I mean, this is other than Patrick Beverly and maybe just some aging for them. Like, guys, like this team made it to the West Finals last year and they were a really difficult team to play in the playoffs and so just the question of whether they find the right look which is a little bit less of an issue for minnesota though still somewhat of one <laughs> is going to be fascinating and they're just you know there's no adjustments there's no game two i would have loved to see a full seven gamer between these teams i think that would be interesting but in yeah in 2022 so since january 1st the minnesota Timberwolves are 30 and 16 with a plus 6.2 net rating they are the home team in this game and deserve to be based on the record this year i still i'm reluctantly picking the clippers i definitely see a path for minnesota to win this game they have played extremely well but the clippers specific personnel the as you said the options they have that's a very significant problem and also i don't i can't see a way for minnesota to scheme this defensively to consistently create an advantage they can avoid disadvantages i don't think the clippers are going to put them into huge difficulty but you the, the clippers it's kind of a different way especially now that powell and paul george are available and i don't think there's a way to make all of that work especially when they go small for in terms of minnesota's defense yeah this the wolves are currently favored per yahoo by two and a half so basically i think that it was is home court's three points uh in nba right as well as uh as well as I, be- I believe so yes yeah so i guess the implication is the clippers are the slightly superior team on a, on a neutral floor yeah i think this 
one is pretty close to a toss-up, you know, a 55-45 Clippers, something like that. But this might be, of all the games in this play, and this is probably the one I am most looking forward to. It is for sure for me. Charlotte, actually, which we'll we'll talk about once we get a little bit better understanding of, like, Ingram status in the 9-10. We'll probably talk about that either Monday or Tuesday. What were you going to say? I'm super excited for this game. This is my most anticipated play-in game, and I don't think there's anything that could come out of the second batch, the, you know, the loser versus the winner that I will be more excited about than this one. Yeah, Atlanta-Brooklyn could be pretty interesting. Charlotte-Brooklyn could be interesting. Charlotte has, has had some nice games against Brooklyn, but, and, yeah, I mean, you know, hey, well, what, what if Zion plays <laughs> in the 9-10? Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, I mean, I also, I mean, if Minnesota, man, if they lose this to the Clippers and then are facing possibly having this great season, great story, taking the next step as a franchise, oh yeah, by the way, you did make the playoff in the end. <laughs> that would be, that would be quite the mindfuck if that if that happens all right we'll, we'll be back uh, later tonight to set the rest of the stage wrap up what happened today we'll talk to y'all then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.